All right. Welcome, everyone. Back for Inappropriate Earl. It's kind of embarrassing to admit this. This is a solo show today. That's not the embarrassing part. Every now and then I like to do these to connect with my audience. And also, I couldn't get anyone to come over to my house this week. You know how I roll. I'm a one-man unit. I'm a one-man operation. No, I won't be at the All Things Comedy Podcast Festival in Arizona because I'm outlaw. I'm on no network. I'm a lone wolf. I'm a lone soldier. And I was doing a podcast today for about 15 minutes talking about the subject I'm going to tell you about in a moment. And then I looked over at my recorder and I realized I hadn't turned it on. What the fuck? Such is life when you're a lone wolf, a lone soldier. But it's been a good week for me. The Jellies premiered last Sunday night, Adult Swim, 12.15 every Sunday night. I'm the voice of Barry Jelly, Papa Jelly. And I owe being on that show to everyone's favorite show, Roast Battle. And this just goes to show you the naivete and wackiness of this business. Because one night on Roast Battle... I saw this skinny black dude sitting next to Jamar on the wave uh, section. And I just thought he was some friend of Jamar's. So I just started hammering him with, you know, racial jokes. You know, you know how I roll when I was the house racist. And then they had to change it to house hater once Comedy Central came on board. I was told, hey, Earl, we love the house racist, but uh, we have a thing called sponsors on this network. And uh, I was just hammering Tyler, the creator. And I didn't know who he was at the time. And, uh, you know, getting some big laughs and whatnot. And then after the show ended, I uh, walked outside the uh, comedy store patio uh, into the parking lot. And I saw that same skinny black dude talking to Gerard Carmichael on the uh, Andaz uh, driveway. The Andaz is the hotel right next to the comedy store. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if he's friends with Gerard, I better go apologize to him. So I walk up the driveway and they, they kind of stopped talking once they saw me coming. Probably a group of about six or seven uh, black dudes and uh, I went up to uh, Tyler, who I didn't know at the time, and said, hey, man, I'm sorry about uh, that stuff during the show. I'm, it's just a character, you know, like Archie Bunker. And, you know, I hope you weren't offended. I'm really sorry. And he looks at me, and now I can't say what he said to me. I think you can guess. But he said, my, you, my. And I looked at him, and I said, can I call you that? And his writing partner, Lionel, was like, no. And uh, they're like, it's all good, man. We we understand. You were great. And then the next, uh, I think the next day or maybe two days later, I got a call saying that this rapper, Tyler, the creator, wanted me to be the voice of his father. And uh, we, uh, we connected. And uh, the first season was on his phone app because, you know, it was pretty out there. And then uh, Adult Swim... Uh, reached out to Tyler, I guess, and said, hey, 
let's have you on our network because he had already had a show called the loiter squad that was a hit and uh so they had a relationship and uh, here i am on adult swim now and it's a great show and it just goes to show you if you keep your head down in this business and are nice to people and you work hard good things can happen for you but that's not the purpose of this podcast purpose of this podcast today is to one make sure i'm recording right now we're good and then two you know in the news lately is you know really the last couple of years uh you know first bill cosby luring uh, actresses and models to his condo under the guise of helping their career now harvey weinstein James Toback. I mean, I don't know how anything in Hollywood gets filmed with all these horny executives. Um, and, uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein's MO, it's made me think that to make it in Hollywood, you don't have to go to acting classes or commercial classes or cold reading classes, but uh, you should probably start off at massage school and make it quicker. Um you know, it's it's really, uh, and I don't know if it's a problem that will really ever be solved because as long as there's people trying to make it, there'll always be people like Harvey Weinstein and James Toback trying to uh, take advantage of people's desire to make it in this business. You know, it's not like all of a sudden tomorrow they're going to stop making movies and commercials and modeling gigs and stand-up gigs, you know. I could quit comedy right now after this podcast, which some of you may wish. And there's 50 comics coming out here in the next month from Chicago, Idaho, you know, Des Moines, New York, Florida, Canada, the UK, all coming out here. And I'd be a forgotten man in like two hours. So it's, it's kind of like terrorism. You're never going to stop guys like Weinstein and James Toback. You know, you just got to maintain them, hopefully. Uh, now, I myself was uh, casting couched twice. And, uh, you know, looking back when it was happening, and nothing happened. But, you know, when I look back on it now, it, it, it never really bothered me all that much till I saw how it affected some of these people that, Weinstein and Toback, you know, attempted or actually did things too. You know, the first time, I don't want to say the network, but it was one of the main casting people at this three-letter network that's still in business. And no, I'm not going to give you any hints. Although I will say it wasn't CBS, NBC, or ABC. Oopsies, did I just say that? And uh, this guy had seen me uh, perform early on in my stand-up career. And you got to understand that, you know, when I was doing stand-up early on, I was not very good. I think the first time I ever did stand-up was at the Starbucks on uh, La Cienega and uh, third for you uh, local yokels in the uh, L.A. area. And I was so bad that I had to have my friend Eric and my, ex-girlfriend Ann, who I still keep in touch with, 
feed me my jokes because I had forgotten them. I had such stage fright and my mind just went blank. And then I think uh, the next couple gigs were at a uh, bar in uh, Beverly Hills that had stand-up and uh, Michael Collier uh, ran it. And if you don't know who he is, he, he was in those Tony Robbins commercials you know, many years ago and he his story was basically he was a street performer in Venice and he would perform to pretty big crowds and then he you know someone walked by and discovered him and he's had like a 30 40 year career in comedy and uh he put me up a few times and i was brutally bad i even remember the first time i did this place it's a bar in beverly hills called indochine and uh the first joke I did was, uh, hey, guys, I'm, a, I'm an author trying to get into comedy. Uh, my first book is about astrology. It's called How to Find Uranus. And <laughs> just got nothing. And then I was like, well, if you don't like that joke, I'm also uh, writing a book on Liberace. It's called uh, Two Lips on My Organ. And so that shows you the caliber of jokes I was writing back then. And this casting director had seen me at Indochine and we struck up a small conversation uh, afterwards and uh, he was telling me how funny I was and which goes to show you how full of shit he was. Uh, he has since deceased, by the way, so I can't really mention his name. But, uh, you know, uh, somehow we got on uh, the subject of I had a crush at the time uh, on Brittany Murphy from Clueless. And uh, unfortunately, she's no longer with us either. But uh, she was like, I had such a crush on her. And he was like, oh, well, do you want to come and meet her? She's doing a table read tomorrow for King of the Hill. And that was the bait. That was the lure. So I'm like, yeah, no problem. And I didn't really pick up on the fact that this guy probably was gay. I was so excited that a Hollywood executive was, you know, taking an interest in me. It, it went right over my head what his true intentions were probably so i go to the uh, lot of this huge studio and um my name's on the list i was given vip treatment parked my car right by several celebrities so walking into this dude's office i thought wow this guy's legit you know because there's a lot of shysters out there that you know say they're casting directors or can help you get into this place or that place and they're not this guy was completely legit i mean you don't get much bigger than this guy in the casting world i mean he casted this network's at the time biggest show you know i did a little research on him this is back you know when you you know there was no google you had to really dig on the internet so i go into his office secretary's there mr skakel so-and-so is waiting for you going to this dude's office and it's this huge office had like a shower in it you know it was the biggest office i've ever seen the only really way to describe it is like it was like gordon gecko's office in wall street you know had like a master bathroom and all that stuff so you know he gets me on the couch and we're we're talking small talk about stand-up how long i've done it this and that and then he starts stretching right in front of me and i thought well this is weird 
and nothing had really hit me yet uh, oh this guy might be up to something no good but uh, you know i went along with it you know more small talk and then he's like hey earl can i show you something now i thought it might be a scene from the tv show he was casting or i don't know a movie he was casting and he starts to unzip his pants and i'm like what are you doing dude you know slowly the light was turning on in my head and he's like oh man uh yeah man uh yeah i ran a marathon this weekend and my balls are bruised can you take a look at it and i'm like no dude i'm out he's like well wait a minute don't you want to meet Brittany murphy and i'm like uh yeah i just wanted to see if he was going to introduce me to her and sure enough and this guy was a little off he was like wearing pajamas you know or like a t-shirt and pajama pants we walk into the table read for king of the hill and we just sit in the room and sure enough there was Brittany murphy and and um you know i, I did get to meet her afterwards and then i, I kind of ran off i'm like okay thanks man i, I got a gig which is complete lie because it was at like noon <laughs> i don't i wasn't doing many noon gigs back then or now thank you um and then a couple of weeks go by and you know he reaches out to me again and i thought well all right now that he knows nothing's gonna go down like that i'll meet him he's like hey why don't you come out to my house uh 1 p.m and uh, we'll have lunch and you know we'll talk about your career which would have taken anyone talking about my career about two minutes to uh, breeze through I had no career. And uh, I thought, okay, I'll go up there. I'll give him one more shot. And of course, now I'm laughing, you know, thinking that's how naive I was, was giving this guy a second shot. So I go up to his house, which I think was behind the Beverly Hills Hotel. And, you know, it's in the afternoon. You know, he answers the door in like shorts and a t shirt. I'm like, all right, this is like not exactly business attire, but. You know, and once again, small talk and, you know, I'm kind of looking around and uh, I uh, notice he has like this really cool movie trailer in his driveway, like really nice. I mean, nicer than most movie trailers. If you've ever been on a movie set, you know, they're all kind of the, I think they call them star wagons. This was like a A plus version of a star wagon. And I'm like, oh, what's that, man? And uh He's like, oh, so-and-so gave me this for the last season of the TV show I'm casting. He's like, go check it out. So I'm like, all right. So I go in there, and it's beautiful. It's like got a king-size bed in it and, you know, all kinds of uh, bells and whistles that a, an A-list TV star would require. Um, and I'm in the back just, you know, with my back to the front door, at the other end of the trailer basically and then i hear the door open and i turn around and this guy's like got a boner and i'm like dude i gotta go man i'm out but uh it's a cool trailer though <laughs> so and that was really i never really talked to him after that i think he put two and two together that daddy didn't want to make it that badly and then uh you know, I finally put four and four together eventually and was like, all right, this might happen to me again. And it did. A couple of years later, similar story. 
I think I had done a, a rare gig at the improv and, uh, you know, I was pretty likable on stage, even though my material sucked. So I would always do well with most, uh, audiences, you know, I've always had a relatively easy time getting people on board, uh, talking about, you know, eighties metal and hockey and obscure actors that only I follow on IMDb. So same kind of setup. This guy approaches me. He's a manager, and he still manages people. Actually, his number one client has a hit show on the air right now. And uh, he's like, I want to talk to you. You'd be great for the lead in my movie I'm casting, or helping cast, because he was a manager. Come to my office tomorrow. So I asked a few of my agency buddies, is this guy legit? And they all light up. Oh, yeah, this guy manages this guy, this girl, this guy. So, uh, you know, I go to his office. It's very similar to the guy, uh, the first guy I told you guys about. And uh, he's got all these scripts all over the office. He's at his desk I on this, like, two-seat couch, leather couch by his desk. And then uh, all of a sudden, he comes over to me with this script and said, sits down next to me, very close. And he was like, you'd be perfect for this part. And I know so-and-so, the head of this movie company. Uh, I guess I can mention this guy's name because you know he had nothing to do with what was about to happen. I know Donald DeLine from New Line Cinema. Now, I knew New Line Cinema because they made all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and Shocker, the great movie Shocker that was set up to be the next uh, Friday the 13th or, uh, yeah, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street type of uh, franchise, but it uh, didn't really work out. And uh, I'm even then I was like, I, I, you want me to be the lead in a movie? And I've never had at that time no acting experience the radar went off right away and uh you know he talked a good game i read a few lines you know i don't know how good or bad i was to be completely honest with you but uh you know he puts his hand on my thigh and i'm like all right i'm out i gotta go i I think i said to him i gotta go put money in the meter i'll be right back and uh, of course i walked there from my home so uh i and then i never saw the guy again actually i saw him once uh, i take that back i saw him uh maybe a couple months later at a house party in the hills and he uh, walked out of the bathroom with uh, a pretty famous uh client of his and like two other guys and he just looked at me like oh god so uh you know those are my casting couch experiences does happen to men as well and uh, not that it should discount what happens to the women in this business, but uh, you know it's a sick, sick predatory business, Hollywood. Um, whether you're in uh, stand-up, modeling, acting, commercials, whatever you're in, there'll always be uh, hustlers uh, trying to fuck you over or fuck you. I uh, recently saw it happen at the comedy store one night. Uh, upstairs in the belly room, there's a comedy show. Um, and I won't uh, mention their name, but it's a super young uh, comic, and she had a really good set. And this uh, 
black guy with like board shorts and flip flops walks up to her. Now she had stood next to me after her set uh, just to watch. We were all leaning against the back wall and uh, this black dude comes up to her and goes, I can make your career. Call me. And I, she takes the card because she didn't really know what to do and the guy was kind of close to her and uh, starts bullshitting her on what he can do for her. And I'm like saying to myself, dude, you're wearing board shorts and flip flops uh, and you're like you're unshaven and you've got pretty bad BO and you're wearing a, you know, a, a short sleeve dress shirt that, you know, Stan Switek from Miami Vice would be wearing on a sting operation. And this girl's really smart. So, you know, she knew the guy was full of it, but it just goes to show you, like you can't even go to an open mic in this town without, you know, someone trying to Weinstein you. Um, so, all you young actors and actresses out there, and even you older ones, you know, because Hollywood seeks out desperation in people so they can get their meat hooks into you. Be careful. And, uh, you know, that's about it. Just wanted to get those stories out. And I'd also uh, like to just talk a few minutes about uh, a friend of the L.A. comedy uh, community who recently passed away, and we had a great uh, ceremony for him. Uh, Monday night at the Hollywood Improv, uh, the great Ralphie May. Um, you know, Ralphie was the best. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, I've been doing comedy for about 18 years, and uh, most of the people I meet make me wish I never started comedy or I would quit comedy today. Um, Ralphie was one of the few people alongside, like, Russell Peters, Dr. Ken, Jeff Ross, Rob Schneider gave me my first break. They're proof they're good people in this business. And, uh, you know, me and Ralphie never, we never really talked comedy that much because I, I didn't want him to think I was using him for his fame or connections. Even though he knew that, you know, I wasn't like that. I just never wanted him to think that. And, uh, you know, we really bonded over pro wrestling. Um, and, you know, like I said at his memorial, when, when you tell people you bond over pro wrestling, I think people think you're talking about Hulk Hogan, you know, Ric Flair, or if you're a little younger, you know, uh, Stone Cold, The Rock. You know, I'm a Sting and Kamala man myself, but hey. And... uh you know, me and Ralphie bonded over this, uh, these two guys in the, the mid eighties, Texas and uh, mid South territories. Uh, one, the wrestler was, uh, a guy by the name of Abdullah, the butcher. Now, Abdullah, the butcher was about uh, five foot 10, maybe even shorter, about 600 pounds. And he would come to the ring in genie pants and genie shoes and he could barely fucking move. So his thing was, he couldn't wrestle. So he had to go. Uh, he was like Kiss, you know. Kiss covers up their maybe their average musician skills with bombs and explosions and lasers and all that shit. Abdullah the Butcher would cover up his subpar wrestling skills with gore. He would stick a dinner fork in his forehead and just jab it until he started bleeding profusely. And if that wasn't enough, he would. Uh, have his manager, uh, the great Gary Hart, 
uh, get a cheese grater and rub it on his bald head. So if you ever see uh, photos of Abdullah the Butcher, you'll notice that he has uh, these huge divots in his head from the cheese grater and dinner fork. Um, and Gary Hart was his manager. And he wore these really tacky brown leisure suits. Kind of looked like Kurt Russell in used cars. And he would speak in jive. And Gary Hart was very white. He bald. He had a Fu Manchu like mustache facial thing going on. And he's just the epitome of a white guy. But he would speak in jive. You know, he'd be like, Abdullah the Butcher, my brother. You'd be facing the Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy. And you will take them to the Perintheons of the heights of this business, my brother. And that's who uh, me and Ralphie would, you know, bond over. Because we were just obsessed that also uh, Abdullah the Butcher has a rib restaurant in Atlanta where he sometimes works the grill. Now, if you've ever been into a kitchen, you know that uh, it gets pretty hot back there. And Abdullah would sweat into the food. And, uh, you know, you think, well, that's pretty gross. But you also uh, add into the fact that he has a full-blown hepatitis C. And uh, me and Ralphie would just joke about that constantly. And, uh, you know, Ralphie was one of the few people in this business who would always encourage me, you know. I remember, you know, after roast battle, and he was on my season, and, uh, you know, I posted a, a review of one of uh, Jimmy Carr's fans uh, who said I didn't win the battle and that I suck, and he went online and saw my stand-up clips that I sucked. And, you know, I posted that review on Facebook as kind of a joke, and Ralphie instantly uh, DM'd me on Twitter, and he, I can't do a good impression of Ralphie's voice, which kind of sounded to me like Gary Hart. But he's like, hey, man, your name's on the wall at the comedy store, motherfucker. You're ahead of all these turkeys. And, uh, you know, he instantly made me feel good. And that was Ralphie, you know. Ralphie, uh, I think the last conversation I ever had with him, I was like, dude, you're barely 45 years old and you have eight specials. And instead of gloating or bragging or making it about himself, he, within like literally two seconds, said, Earl, your special's coming. I can feel it. And I was like, Ralphie, I'm 49. I don't have one special out. And he's like, it's coming. And that was kind of the last time we spoke. But, uh, you know, I'm going to miss him a lot, man. He was very good to me. And, uh, you know, he, he was just helped. He helped so many comics out, giving them money. And he would never, like, you know, sometimes you see uh, these causes on uh, Facebook, you know, someone's starting a Kickstarter or GoFundMe because they're in trouble. That You know, I know one comic recently had uh, kidney failure and he put up a GoFundMe thing. And a lot of people donated, but they also put their name on it because they wanted everyone to know that they had donated. You know, you know, Ralphie would donate anonymously. He would tell people, don't tell anyone. Just here's here's what you need, whatever you need. And that's the that's I think, you know, explains Ralphie to a T. And uh, speaking of T's, you know, if you've ever had the uh, misfortune of following me and Ralphie on Twitter, um, you know that I 
would always end every conversation we had on Twitter, which was once again, usually about Abdullah the Butcher. I'd sign off by saying, I got to go, man. I'll, I'll see you soon. Long live King Ralphie. So about three weeks ago, I get a package in the mail. It's from like, I think a Tennessee address. So I, did, I don't really know anyone in Tennessee, I, I don't think. And uh, I open it up and Ralphie had a t-shirt made for me of uh, Ralphie's face with a, a king crown on it that said King Ralphie. And that to me, like, tells you everything you need to know about Ralphie. He didn't ask me to do that. He just did it. And he didn't want anything in return because he didn't need anything in return. So, uh, you know, I love you, Ralphie. And uh, I want to say goodbye to you. Not goodbye, but just pay tribute to you uh, in the voice of Gary Hart. And so, uh, you know, I know that most of you will not really get this impression. So afterwards, please uh, go on YouTube and just Google some uh, Gary Hart promos. If I could send you to one Gary Hart promo, I would beg of you to, uh, I think it's uh, YouTube Gary Hart Killer Brooks. Uh, who was a wrestler Gary Hart managed, and he's cutting a promo. And this shows you how low budget the 80s wrestling uh, scene was, that uh, in the middle of the promo, a black guy in a Cadillac stops the car behind Gary Hart because he was wondering what was going on. And Gary Hart's like, hey, my brother, I'm filming something. I'll talk to you later, my brother. And... Uh, I think if you see that clip, you'll you'll get the impression that I'm about to do. But uh, before I do it, I just want to say uh, thank you guys for, uh, I think, Inappropriate Earls number 19 on uh, iTunes, which is a big deal. You know, it helps, really helps. And uh, I know there have been a lot of uh, re new reviews up lately. I do appreciate that. A couple bad ones. I leave them up. You know, I appreciate the feedback. You know, you're not, I think I have 160 uh Reviews up so far and two bad ones. It's a pretty good ratio, especially given uh, how the internet can work. But, uh, you know, I'm going to sign off now. Uh, so, Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, leave a review if you haven't done so already. And, uh, Ralphie, this is for you. Ralphie May, my brother, you now up in heaven with the greats, Andre the Giant. The ultimate warrior. You're up there with a the British bulldog. Chris Benoit. Well, maybe Benoit's down below, my brother. But thank you very much, everything, Ralphie. You truly are the king. And I want you to save a seat for Earl and Abdullah the Butcher. Earl won't be up there for quite a while. But Abdullah the Butcher may be up there sooner than later, my brother. I love you, king. May you rest in peace, and I know, my brother, you are making everyone up in heaven laugh like you did on earth, my brother. <laughs>